Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. This is David Rothkopf. I'm in New York City, and I am joined today by Katie Fang in Miami, Joe Serencioni in um, Washington, D.C., and Rosa Brooks in a tunnel somewhere in the vicinity. Rosa's a little bit like a mobile missile system. We never know exactly where I'm not where in she- the tunnel. I've emerged into the light, David. Uh, well, if only that would happen for the rest of us. Um, uh, it's a bit of a busy news day. We only really got about a half an hour here today for this episode of Deep State Radio. Uh, so we're going to move fairly crisply through things. Um, and I'm going to start where none of you expect us to start, but uh, in terms of sort of global consequence for the moment, we have two nuclear powers, one of which is the second, soon to be the most populous nation in the world, uh, and one of the top 10 most populous nations in the world, Pakistan, both nuclear powers actually shooting down fighter jets and getting into a war that a lot of people had been predicting might happen for some time. Uh, and that frankly scares nuclear experts. And I can prove that by turning to Joe Serencioni and saying, are you scared? Does this scare you, Joe? This is your nightmare scenario. This is very scary. It's escalating rapidly, and there's no clear path to shutting it off. And if you haven't been paying attention to South Asia, now is a very good time to start. We've, we, what started off as a terrorist attack on November 14th that killed uh, 40 Indian f- forces in the disputed area of Kashmir, clearly orchestrated by a Pakistani-based terrorist, has now escalated with an Indian airstrike on Pakistan territory that that. Uh, India claims killed a lot of the Pakistani terrorists, but then Pakistan responded with their own strikes strikes on Kashmir, uh, uh, Indian-controlled Kashmir, and in the process, they shot down an Indian aircraft, captured the Indian pilot, and displayed him on TV today, blindfolded, and India is screaming for revenge. So this is really a crisis that could escalate uh, very rapidly, and the nightmare is that it could lead to the use of nuclear weapons. So this is perhaps, at at this point, even though very few of us are talking about it in the United States, this is probably the most dire security threat in the world today. Well, that's just the kind of thing that Rosa loves to sink her teeth into. Rosa, are you at all worried about the fact that we don't actually have a Secretary of Defense while this is happening? That the President of the United States is distracted by a number of other things, including, you know, et et cetera, et cetera, while there is this potential uh, conflict? Does that bother you? Or um, uh, are, are you just, you know, highly medicated? 
Well, I have I have mixed feelings. Um, on the one hand, under under any normal circumstances, I would say it is terrible that we we don't have a secretary of defense and we have a distracted president, because this is exactly the kind of situation in which the U.S., which is allied with both of those states, could and should play a crucial role in turning the temperature down, you know, and saying, whoa, 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 everybody slow down, back off, you know, because this is, as Joe said, this is the nightmare scenario. This is two nuclear powers confronting each other, and it's escalating rapidly. I, I would note, among other things, that Pakistan, the displaying the Indian fighter pilot blindfolded violates the Geneva Conventions. You know, this is bad. This is really bad stuff. Um, and we're not paying attention. We should be. So in normal circumstances, I would say, yes, it is terrible that the president of the United States is distracted and we don't have a secretary of defense. Given this president, I'm not sure it makes any difference. And <laughs> it's entirely possible that having him be distracted is better than having him get involved, uh, because I think his behavior is also so unpredictable. This president, any other president uh, in recent memory, I think could be counted on to to do their absolute utmost to de-escalate. Uh, I'm not so sure about our current president. So before I go to Katie and we pick up with the Cohen stuff, which is dominating everybody's attention today, Joe, the Pakistanis are not as well equipped as the Indians in many respects, although they do have Chinese backing. Um, and they tend to be better at big public displays of of. PR and spin than they are at actually sustaining any kind of long conflicts in this regard. Uh, nobody on either side really wants a nuclear war. Don't you think that it's it's more likely than not that this thing will uh, get contained? Yes, I do. I think it's more likely than not. But the not is still a very large probability. So what, there's a 40% chance, a 25% chance? That's what worries everybody. I wrote a book called Nuclear Nightmares and I had a chapter called The Most Dangerous Country on Earth and it was about Pakistan. And this was the nuclear nightmare scenario where a terrorist intentionally conducts a strike against India in order to provoke a war that would cause the Pakistani military to mobilize, and here's the worst part, to then and flush their nuclear weapons out of secure storage where they are pretty secure. We're not really worried about terrorists getting them because these are tactical nuclear weapons. This is what Pakistan's answer is to the overwhelming Indian conventional military superiority. So once you flush those, those weapons out to put them in the hands of commanders, you have two immediate problems. You're now giving commanders control of these weapons, not the centralized Pakistan military, and you're making them more vulnerable to, to terrorist theft or perhaps insider diversion. So you can see the nightmares multiplying here. So it, uh, is that likely? No, it is not. Is it possible? Yes. And that should scare you. Right. And Pakistan has something like three times the nuclear warheads of North Korea, say, right? I mean, it does. About, yeah, about 100. Well, more. About, they have about 120. Yeah, about that. If we think that, that North Korea has somewhere around 30, Pakistan has 120. India probably has 150. Right. And so, you know, I, it does underscore the fact that as many people, including yourself, have felt uh, for a long time, the likelihood of the use of nuclear weapons um, grows as as as, as uh, proliferation grows in smaller countries um, uh, uh, or countries that are less constrained by international treaties um, uh, or have fewer fail safes than say the US and the Russians do get the weapons right so this is that's one of the reasons that this is 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 your number one nightmare 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and and of course, we haven't been doing anything on this. We've just been ignoring it, you know, sort of kicking the can down the road, hoping that somehow it will solve itself. Well, if you if you kick these cans long enough, one day they're going to go off. And th- this week, this day is particularly dangerous. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wanted to start there simply because if you are taking the stories today that dominate the news, this is really the story people need to be focusing on, and they're not focusing on it. Now, you know, having said that, I listened all day long to Republicans uh, on this uh, 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 oversight committee, Katie, talking about um, how it was an outrage that the Democrats were holding this interview of Michael Cohen, man of of low repute, although they also seem to think he is the puppet master of Donald Trump, um, because, um, but but that they that you know that this is an outrage because the president is trying to make the world peaceful in in North Korea and this has nothing to do with that and yet, I would argue that, the you know having an investigation that might reveal how the president was compromised by a foreign power does seem to have some national security implications and some urgency um, behind it. I don't want to lead the witness, but you agree with me 100%, right? <laughs> After after conferring with my counsel, my answer is a unqualified yes, Mr. Rothkopf. Yes, that, that is very talk. Um, listen, you know, this this entire day has been hour upon hour upon hour of having to sift through a lot from Michael Cohen, but a whole lot of horseshit from the GOP. And, and, and ultimately, you are picking out some nuggets of some real gold out of this. But there are significant global events that are going on. I will not diminish the importance of what is currently occurring with North Korea. But fundamentally, it all boils down to who is representing the United States in the talks that are going on with North Korea, and that would be Donald Trump. And then it ultimately leads to the question, which is, how did he get there? And that is exactly what Michael Cohen has been illuminating for us today. How did Donald Trump get to where Mm -hmm. he is? And clearly it was with the assistance of somebody by the name of Michael Cohen. And for the GOP to conveniently want to condemn him for being some – you know, worthless liar. Yeah, listen, the guy lies. But I just think that it's just this, um, you know, feigned righteous indignation. Um, You know, half these guys don't have clean hands. So it's just really so hypocritical that they're trying to make this all about Michael Cohen. And, And kudos to him for calling them out today and saying, how come none of you guys are asking me about Donald Trump? I mean, this is this is not a hearing about Michael Cohen. It's to ask him questions. And so I posited on Twitter a few hours ago, you know, wouldn't it be nice to change the rules for these types of congressional hearings so that you can't grandstand for five minutes and you actually are obligated to ask a question. But what we've noticed today is the the, the Republicans on this committee have just ceded their time and yielded their time to Jim Jordan of all people. That's who you're going to yield your time to. Like, what's the value add in that? But, but the important questions, some of which are being asked, um, are being answered. Michael Cohen, again, to his credit, he's volunteering information that he wants to testify about, but nobody's asking about. So he's dropping little bombs here or there and seeing if anybody will react to them. And there's been some significant things that have come out of today. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that he actually came forward after, you know, Representative Matt Gates yesterday decided to intimidate and try to threaten a witness in violation of a federal statute yesterday. Go Florida. You must be so proud. 
Florida. <laughs> yes, that is my state. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Rosa, I noticed you were positing a few things on Twitter, like holy shit and things like that. <laughs> well, that- <laughs> that was my considered legal analysis. Um, they teach us how to do that in law professor school. Um, so, so you, you said that. Yeah, um, yeah. I I heard somebody on television a minute ago saying, "Well, we have to turn to the um, wisdom of the the Italians and say mm-hmm. qui bono." And I was <laughs> like, "The Italians." Um, anyway, I guess I guess a long time back. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Rosa, what's your takeaway from this? Uh, uh, Katie's talking about little gold nuggets. Did you see any little gold nuggets? Uh, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, in, in, in some ways, it didn't tell us anything we don't already know. Um, uh, they, the, the nuggets were, were little. Um, on the other hand, I do think one of the things that Michael Cohen did was kind of put it all, or if not all, but put a lot of it out there in, in sort of in one place. Um, I think part of the reason that the American public is, is probably less moved than it should be by the evidence so far of, of Donald Trump criminality is because the, the evidence has come out in little dribs and drabs and individual one and this indictment and this mentioned in another indictment and, and connecting the dots takes some patience and some, some effort. Uh, and and Cohen connected all those dots basically uh, in his testimony, and and that is fairly powerful. I have never uh, been particularly a fan of Michael Cohen, um, and I would agree that this is not a man who has inherently an enormous amount of credibility. Um, but that said, uh, it's a little hard to see what his motivation would be at this point to say anything other than the truth. Uh, He's going to jail. What he says today is not affecting any of that, except the only thing that he could hurt himself with would be if he said something today that contradicted what he had told uh, the FBI and what he had told Bob Mueller. So presumably everything, you know, we, we assume that everything he said today is consistent with what he is also provided as evidence. We also assume that there's probably more that he was told not to speak about, uh, because it still relates to the investigation and in, in ongoing ways. Um, will this change the minds again of Trump's base? Probably not. Uh, probably not because nothing will, I think. And, and, you know, well, I have to say that that phrase minds of Trump's base contains a fallacy, which we don't really. Well, um, no, I, I actually don't think that's right, David. I, I, I think that I, you know, I think that many people in Trump's base are, fully aware that he is a bad human being Mm -hmm. and quite possibly a crook. It's not that they just don't get it. It's that they don't care because he is advancing overall an agenda that they support and they're willing to say, yeah, you know, he's a jerk. He's probably a criminal. But, you know, look, he got these two guys onto the Supreme Court and look, he got the tax cuts and look, he did this and that, you know. So so I don't think it's it's a failure of 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 intelligence. I think it's it's just a a willingness to decide that character doesn't matter. I, I would disagree. I think character in a president does, in fact, matter enormously. Uh, but there you have it. Not everybody shares that view, obviously. Uh, yeah, well, a character may matter. Although I, when you talk about minds, you know, watching the Republicans 
it, it's 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 really surreal because the Democrats are like going, you know, asking questions as you might in an inquiry, and the Republicans are screaming at the top of their lungs about what an awful person he is, and not asking, with one exception, uh, any questions about Do- Donald Trump. And one after another, they appear to be literal. I mean, I I, I posited on Twitter that they each of them would debase a local county mosquito commission. I mean, this guy Higgins in his like Walmart greeters vest and and I mean, who is this dude? I mean, some of these people, I mean, it's hard to know where we get them. Um, <laughs> jo- <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. And, you know, one point uh, Cohen, you know, warns them, he says, look, I used to be like you. I used to do this, you yeah. know, blind, slavishly serving Donald Trump. And be careful because you might end up like me. Yeah. Really yeah. Chilling it's a cautionary moment. tale. Yeah, he is. He's literally says, I offer myself up as a cautionary tale as to what you shouldn't do and your blind loyalty to to Donald Trump. But, you know, as as with most stories, it's not going to have a happy ending. Michael Cohen's going to go to federal prison, although I did like and enjoy today the repeated mention of um, now, you know, still secret SDNY investigations that involve Donald Trump. That mm-hmm. gave me some pleasure. Um, and, you know, the fact that he was told, I can't discuss them because there are ongoing investigations with the Southern District of New York that do involve Donald Trump and others. And he was forthright in saying that clearly those would go towards a, um, a motion for him to mitigate his sentence, but his appearance today does not. And I did enjoy the fact that he, you know, directly implicated once again Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump Jr. in the Russian dealings with not only Trump Tower Moscow, but with the Trump Organization. So, you you know, he he's putting it, he's putting stuff out there that we've either already known, if not suspected, but to some extent, for what it's worth, he's putting in a perimeter of credibility on it. Again, the irony was not lost on me when they swore him under oath this morning. <laughs> it wasn't lost on me, you know. But but there's a value. There's a value to him. Can I ask you two, two quick questions? Did did we in fact know about that Southern District of New York investigation, or was that was he giving us? Uh, some new information there. And now we're going to do something that we haven't done here really before on Deep State Radio, and that is that we are going to hear from a sponsor. If you like Deep State Radio, that means you like foreign policy. And if you like foreign policy and you want to learn more about it, another place you can hear from leading experts is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, a weekly podcast that goes beyond the headlines on critical global issues, uh, and it includes, much as 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 we sometimes do, uh, new guests uh, like Israeli security experts talking about cyber terrorism or Hollywood producers explaining China's influence over the U.S. box office. Deep Dish describes what's happening, why, why it matters, and what to watch as the story unfolds. So if you're interested in foreign policy, Give a listen to Deep Dish on Global Affairs today, wherever you get your podcasts. So the way that he the way that he answered, we've known, for example, that the Southern District of New York has been interested in the Trump organization. For example, we know that subpoenas have been served on the Trump organization for records, et cetera. Um, we also know that the Southern District has been interested in, you know, other things like the Trump Foundation um, and that there are other obvious prosecutorial um, agencies and offices that have been looking into things not only with just the Trump organization 
organization and the Trump Foundation, mm-hmm. but also with the Trump inaugural committee. So the answer is, yes, we knew about some of it, but the way that Cohen mm-hmm. answered it, he yes. didn't qualify it. He made it sound like it had to do with Donald Trump. Yes, not yes. Not Trump org, not Trump whatever. And that is what I found to be compelling. And, and I don't think that he would have had the cat who ate the canary look that Michael Cohen had when he answered those questions if it didn't have something to do with yeah. Trump directly. And then one last question. Is it, is it my imagination or did, did he intentionally drag the kids into this, that he was asked a question about Trump and he, he, he deliberately added the, the, the kids? Is that right? Yes. I, I perceived it as a gratuitous and yet fantastically <laughs> wonderful addition to his testimony today. He could have just said there was – and he did say that nothing happened at the Trump organization that didn't run through Donald Trump. But he could have said, yes, there were further dealings that went past the inauguration, you know, that went past the election between the Trump organization, uh, business dealings. But, yeah, he added Ivanka's name and Don Jr.'s name, and he said specifically that they were briefed at least ten times. That was a beautiful little gold nugget that I – I have enjoyed from today. Wow. You know, I worry about your soul a little bit. <laughs> my, 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 I have, I, I sleep at the foot of the cross. <laughs> I sleep at the foot of the cross. That's There's German words for I, this. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, no, schadenfreude is pleasure in the pain of your friends. Oh, right, and, right. and this is not her friends, exactly. Um, I'm going to go, go, Google sadist, right? Is that, I have to go Google that? That's what I have to go Google? Well, no, look, look, life is short. We need to get the pleasure <laughs> we can out of it. Um, Rose, I'm sure this gave you lots of pleasure also in different kinds of ways. But let me ask you <laughs> a, couple of le- a couple of legal questions that, that are per- peripheral to it before you um, sidestep my questions. And I, answer as I told you, why. my legal analysis may be limited to more explana- like exclamations of holy shit today. Yeah, well, that's fine. One thing that happened today that should have gotten the holy shit, I don't think did get the holy shit it should, is that um, Roger Stone took it upon himself to say that Cohen was lying. Now, I thought Roger Stone was on their gag order and he wasn't supposed to comment on this. <laughs> uh, I missed that. Yes. Well, that sounds very Roger Stone-like. I, I can't answer your question, David, because I don't know the exact terms of the gag order and I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see the Stone statement or whether he said he was lying about everything or just lying about some things and whether the some things relate to the gag order. Katie may know. Do you know, so Katie? Stone made a couple of dumbass comments today, one of which I think he has flirted, if not crossed the line, on the gag order. I went back and I revisited the language of the of the order. The order states that he's not allowed to speak in any way, carrier pigeon, sign language, verbally with, you know, like smears of or blood on the wall. He can't do any of that about his case. Now, the reason why people are like screaming to me on Twitter, oh, are you stupid? You know, he didn't violate it. Well, here's the problem. <laughs> he says that he says that Cohen's not telling the truth. Well, what is Cohen not telling the truth about? Well, it's about Cohen said that Stone was involved in the WikiLeaks, you know, Trump knowledge of the WikiLeaks release of the stolen emails. And that's exactly what Stone lied about. I mean, I don't know how Stone's going to say that it wasn't related. But, you know, listen, I, I haven't heard anything from special counsel's office today that they're going to hail him back into court on a violation of it. But if I'm Stone, I wouldn't even go near it because the judge <laughs> this time around tied his bail status to the gag order. Before, the limited gag order had nothing to do with bail revocation. But this time around, she tied his bail status directly to it. So, I mean, I'm not sure why Stone's doing it other than he's just stupid, but we knew that. So, I was uh, you just know, that surprised. wasn't a huge revelation from today. 
I was just surprised that, that he would didn't that he tweet. would say anything. Well, that he would no. didn't tweet a picture. You knew of he was Collins never going to stay away from this. Right, he oh can't God, help he himself. Yeah, well, it's 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 pretty awful. You know, I mean, it seems like hours, years, day, months ago, whatever, that he made his opening statement, which was just a few hours before we're actually taping this. But in his opening statement, he made a number of state uh, 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 assertions. Um, one of which the Republicans quickly sought to to rebut, uh, Rosa, and that is that he said the president was a racist who said black people were stupid, and the Republicans said. Here's a black woman who likes the president. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, again, I don't think it's news to anybody that Donald Trump is a racist. As as Michael Cohen, you know, quoted some of the public statements the president has made. Um, and you know, so there's there's nothing new here, right? Um, we now know that Donald Trump, in private, said everything that he said in public and maybe a little bit worse, but that's not particularly surprising. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I do find Michael Cohen kind of an interesting character. Um, you, he, you know, he, he was undone, not only by his quote unquote blind loyalty to Trump, but also by his own greed. You know, it wasn't just that he was trying to protect someone he idolized. He also thought he was going to get rich and powerful and famous by protecting somebody who he may or may not have actually idolized. Uh, but I think his primary motivation was, was greed. Um, that being said, he, he, he did a sort of persuasive job um, of saying, I'm kind of a shithead. And, you know, uh, yeah, I've lied, but why would I be lying now? And, and, and to me, that was actually pretty compelling, and particularly because everything that that Cohen said does correspond to the already known facts about Donald Trump, whether it's on the uh, is Trump a racist issue or on any of the other issues. Well, and he also brought along some evidence um, with him. Although, you know, I went to law school myself. You may not know this, but I went to law school for mm. a full semester um, going at night. And That's then enough. There, That's there was a kind oh, of a divine. Off. I had yeah, no idea. Uh, oh. Yeah. And uh, I so I feel perfectly uh, uh, ready to practice law. And in, 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 in one, um, uh, just a flashback to an earlier part of our conversation, people kept saying, you know, well, you know, Mr. Cohen, you're here to, uh, improve your situation by, cause you're going to write a book or because, which he didn't deny, or because, you know, you might get a better sense. <laughs> He's going to run for president in a few years. <laughs> right. But <laughs> Well, you know, the, Trump has sort of set the bar pretty low. He'll, but get the, out with, he'll get out with good time. It'll be okay. Yeah, but but he'll, one he'll of the things. Time, yeah, well, and he thinks he's going to get more time off if he helps with these other Southern District cases, he said. But one of the things that nobody's brought up is if Cohen lies again, that's a new crime. Yes. And and and, yeah. and no, absolutely. There, there's a big, <laughs> you know, there's a big penalty for him to be lying and if he committed that new crime in the wake of the old crime, he'd probably get the book thrown at him. Yeah. And, 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 and what, and what the, Cohen doesn't oh, know, well, you know, I was just going to say that, that, that Cohen doesn't know what evidence the various investigations have from other sources. Uh, and, and thus, he has every reason to believe that if he tells a lie, he will get caught, uh, that it won't go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. And the uh, other thing is this. Yeah. Why, you know, Cohen could 
have just made stuff up or agreed with what was asked of him, especially about Russian conspiracy questions. And he did it. Yeah, yeah. He said, mm-hmm. I have my suspicions, and let me show you the circumstantial reasons why. But he never said, I absolutely was there. Because remember, he could have basically lied today and said, I had a conversation with Donald Trump about Russia. Well, yeah. who, who's to refute that other yeah, than Donald Trump? And, and, and he never said that today. He That's true. Explicit that he doesn't have that. And, and you got it. So, so why not give him some credit for that? No, no, if I think. If he was really trying to take down Donald Trump, he would have lied about it. Well, first of all, SDNY and Mueller are watching this thing with eagle eyes, right? You know, they, and the, the slightest st- wrong step and he, he'd be screwed by them. And I suspect his attorneys would have run a lot of the questions about this by them before he even did anything. But he did say some fairly substantial things that he was in the room when Roger Stone said to the president on the phone that WikiLeaks was going to do a dump of 25,000 emails in the next couple of days. It's exactly what happened. Um, uh, the timeline works. Uh, it's the first time that somebody has made that connection. Um, and uh, he did say that, you know, the, the Trump secretary could corroborate what the, you know, that the call took place. And obviously, uh, I suspect Mueller has some evidence to suggest whether a call like that took place or not. Um, and that's fairly substantial, Joe. And, you know, I, I think there were some things here and also mm-hmm. that the Moscow Tower thing was going on and on and on. And that Trump was deeply involved with it um, uh, in into the into the presidency itself. Yes. And, and that's what what uh, what Cohen really brought in, that this was all this was continuing while Trump was president himself. And let me just add, you know, Elijah Cummings, to the new chair of the committee, did an, it was running an excellent com- hearing here, uh, did an excellent job at the beginning of warning Cohen about lying, just to underscore the, the points that have been, been made here. And of course, Cohen has an interest in, 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 in helping out and with the, with the hope that this kind of cooperation can reduce his sentence. I know this because I applied to law school and was rejected, <laughs> but, I, but I I followed the law closely ever since. And and I know that if, if he runs these wickets correctly enough, being a cooperative witness, not overstepping, not lying, telling, telling the truth, he, he not only avoids a new crime, he might be able to re- reduce the sentence from the crimes he's already been convicted of. Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes here. At, there's sort of hard stop for a couple of us here here at the end, but I'm going to go really, really fast here. Joe brings up a good point, which is that Joe was rejected from law school. <laughs> Katie, how is it that you did Some not mention? How did you did not mention the 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 fact that Cohen has tried to suppress Trump's SAT scores? I mean, oh, that. Yeah. Oh, I know. Why have we not heard more about that? I think the guy's probably like, you know, off off the scale on like the reverse end of intelligence. And that's the reason why. Yeah, I mean, he's Trump's intelligence has always been questionable at best. And so I would love to hear people ask more questions of Michael Cohen. Although, did you hear the very delicate question as to whether or not Donald Trump has paid for, quote, health related procedures for women outside of his family? Yes. Yes. Well, there were a bunch I of mean, those. So they things. asked that question, but they haven't asked about the SAT scores. So. Yeah, but they they have you know, and and he refuted a bunch of the bunch of these things very quickly on this before we go and finish with a couple of words about North Korea. Rosa, he he testified behind closed doors for the Senate the other day. He's going to do it behind closed doors with the House Intelligence Committee. Um, how do you think those 
hearings will be different from this? I mean, what's he going to be talking well, about? Well, you're going to have a lot less grandstanding. But I think the, the big difference is going to be the level of grandstanding by by uh, members of Congress. Uh, you know, that, that you don't bother with grandstanding nearly as much. Sometimes they just, out of sheer habit, they do it anyway when it's behind closed doors. But, but it certainly tends to be reduced. So I think that they will be far more to the point. Uh, you know, I don't know what Cohen is going to say that's different. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall in those rooms. Um, yes. Well, wouldn't we all? Uh, let's just make a little bit of a transition here. Um, uh, Joe, you know, uh, th- we're doing this on Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, people may be listening to it, you know, on Thursday and Friday, and we'll know more about the North Korea thing then. But one thing that is clear is that the president of the United States has, you know, uh, a big uh, dumpster fire going on in Washington and is desperate to draw attention Mm -hmm. away from it and desperately needs a victory. And it seems to me that this, the the pressure on him to cut some kind of deal with Kim Jong-un couldn't be more acute and that that's really dangerous. It is. And our our fate really lies in the hands of Kim Jong-un. How much is he going to milk this for? Is he going to give as little as possible and try to get as much as possible, even if that endangers the, the support for this agreement uh, back in Washington? The, the, as we speak, we know that, there, that a deal has been outlined that we're real close on a number of key provisions, the ones we discussed at the last podcast, but they haven't been able to close the gap. So it really comes down, unfortunately, to what Kim and Trump can agree to uh, at their meeting. It's all going to be over by about uh, three o'clock, four o'clock in our morning, East Coast time. I'm going to be up all night on MSNBC covering this live. But we just don't know how this is going to turn out. And this is one of those moments where you really wish we had even a a modestly more competent commander in chief to be able to hammer out these final details. And we just don't. Well, one of the reasons we don't know, uh, Rosa, is, of course, the president is throwing American reporters out of meetings and Mm -hmm. embracing what the North Koreans euphemistically call reporters, which is kind of charming. Um, because obviously they don't have anything like a press there. Um, But I would dispute, despite Joe's vastly superior knowledge. So, so Joe, you've got a lot more experience on this than I do. But let me me suggest to you that, as we discussed the last time, we kind of do know what's going to happen. We kind of think that there'll be some long-term talk about denuclearization. It won't be highly specific. There won't be a highly specific timeline. There will be some semi-specific near-term concessions on the part of the North Koreans, and that they will be rewarded perhaps with liaison offices, some kind of cultural exchange, maybe some kind of sanctions relief, and um, you know maybe a, an armistice for the end of the Korean War, and a promise of, of future meetings. You know, In other words, we're just going to keep this game playing, but they're going to want to make it seem as positive as possible. Isn't that really almost inevitably what we're going to end up with? Yes, that is almost inevitably what we're going to end up with. And the real question is, is, is how solid is this interim step? You know, is it one that can actually build and on 
that we can build on to create a real process going forward? Or is it so weak that it collapses even soon after it's announced? And that a, a lot of that, unfortunately, is going to depend on, on, on Donald Trump himself. And that is such an uncertain and unreliable uh, part of this process. Uh, so you know, it, it's it's certainly not going to be over after this meeting. Uh, it'll a lot, and and unfortunately, a lot of this is going to fall in the lap of the next president. We have to hope that there's still some kind of process that this next president can pick up and carry over the finish line. Well, I, I have two serious questions. One is, how do you stay up all night to do what you're about to do with MSNBC? <laughs> and, and, and the other is um, perhaps a little bit more substantively weighty. And, and that is, what will you look for as uh, a concession too far by Trump? A concession too far would be if the North Koreans say they're going to dismantle parts of Young Beyond, the plutonium production facility, but don't give any details, don't allow any inspections, and yet we still um, give substantial s sanctions relief. That that would be something that even I would, would start to criticize. And as you know, I've been the optimist here. I'm not worried about liaison offices. I don't think that's a concession. That's a good thing. I'm not worried about a peace declaration. I think that's a good thing. Uh, it's it, it, it would be accepting too vague a promise on the part of, of North Korea. And that's still out there. We, we don't know how solid the deal is going to be. It's true. He also may say something like, you know, he would like to adopt Kim Jong-un as a son. And frankly, <laughs> Kim Jong-un is a lousy <laughs> prospect. But compared to Don Jr., I think it could be a coin toss, you know. Um, uh and, and and almost, you know, inevitably he'll salute some Korean general, North Korean general, uh, or do something that's a little bit gross in that respect, don't you think? I mean, this is the hardest part of the process is to watch his his actions, his words, his calling Kim Jong-un, my friend, his, his t talking about this rosy future. Just, it's disgusting. It's debasing. It's not at all what you want a president to do. No other president has come close to this. It's, it's putting up with all that and trying to see, okay, what's the core of the agreement? Can I move all that to one side and look, is this agreement good for U.S. national security or not? Yeah, by the way, I was on Lawrence O'Donnell the other night, you know, not for the whole night like you, but, you know, for like four and a half minutes. And but he made a really, really good point, which is the other thing Trump's doing here, which is really weird, particularly given the Republican attack on socialism, is he keeps saying that they're going to become an economic paradise, even though, <laughs> you know, right. there's not a successful stationary store owner in North yeah. Korea. You know, I mean, nobody knows how to make an economy work there. They're isolated. There's no infrastructure. They have a system, communism, that doesn't work in any way, shape or form. There's no way they could be an economic paradise. And yet the president keeps harping on this insanity while he attacks the Democrats for wanting to ensure that retirees have, you know, health care. <laughs> That's right. Socialism is great in North Korea. It's terrible in America. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Well, look, you know, we've got this to look forward to. Hopefully you'll be back soon, Joe. Uh, hopefully Katie will be back uh, soon. Rosa, of course, will always be back soon uh, and will be back soon. Uh, in fact, next week with more episodes of Deep State Radio. Uh, we hope that all of you will join us. If you want more of what we have to offer here at Deep State Radio, you go to DeepStateRadioNetwork.com. Um, which 
which we're going to shorten down soon because it's long. So we may say uh, the DSRnetwork.com. And uh, uh, we will uh, uh, welcome you there. There's a lot more content. You can sign up. You can become a member. We wish you would. We like the support. It enables us to do more things, and we can launch more interesting uh, uh, discussions like this. Uh, and uh, uh, I think they're important. And if you don't believe me, go back and listen to the last 170 of these because I think uh, I, I think you'll agree with me. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Rosa. And bye bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.